0: That God meets us here, and he meets us with his word of truth, of love, of conviction, of hope. And so uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series um, where we're studying the Beatitudes, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. It's from Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Um, We started last week with the first one today. We're going to be focused on the second one. Blessed are those who mourn. So let us uh, remain standing in body and spirit as we hear and receive the word of the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So God, we do pray that your word would speak to us today. Lord, your spirit is here in this place. We know it. We feel it. And God, we... We sit at a place where we can lean in, or we can lean back, where we can keep you at a distance, or we can go all in to your grace. And so I pray today, especially for those hesitant of heart for whatever reason, that this would be a place in which we lean, not just lean in, but go all in with your grace today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessed are those who mourn does not sound like good news, right? In fact, it's kind of a ludicrous statement that we could say. Um, I don't think there are many Seahawks fans that are very happy today, right? Uh, Nobody that when your team loses, you're like, yeah, that is really uh, good news. Ask some Buffalo Bills fans in the early 90s, right? Blessed are those who keep losing Super Bowls this is good news, right? It's not good news. We we don't like to to mourn. We we don't like to lose. We don't like loss. We do not like grief. So what do these words mean? Blessed are those who mourn. How is that even possible to experience that? One of the ways that that word blessed is sometimes translated as happy. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who who grieve. It doesn't feel right because you and I, uh, if you've lived long enough, you are familiar with Grief and that grief has probably found you in, in different ways. It's not something we like to talk about. In fact, we go to steps to avoid talking about it. But to live and to love is to experience suffering and loss and grief. Now, one of the things that you know that I love to do is to define words. So let's define some terms here. If you are a note taker, now's the time to get your pencil out, all right, and take some notes about some of our things. But what does it mean? What is grief? Now, this is grief. Grief is the internal meaning given to the experience of losses and longings. And we're going to describe those words in just a second. But it's this this experience that we have inside of us that because we love, because we've lived, that we realize that something is missing and it's inside. And you know it. You felt it. You've embraced it or you've rejected it. But we've been there. One of the best ways I've understood grief comes from watching want a vision with my family because in that vision said these words what is grief if not love persevering that that because we have loved because we have experienced life as it could be or should be when that ends love doesn't stop and that gap between what is and what we hope to be what should be what we want to be there is this gap that we do now i used two words earlier i talked about losses and longings And let's sort of break those down. A loss is an absence of something that is significant to us. Now, the first thing we probably think about is, right, is losing someone we love. And and as I look around this room, there are people who I know you have lost somebody important. We've done funerals together as part of this church family. There There is a spouse who used to sit next to you and does not sit next to you. There's a child who used to be there but is no longer there. There are parents who you can no longer call. Loss is a part of the world that we have. Loss is about something that was and is not anymore. But loss goes deeper into to just instead of a, a loved one, because there are people who you've lost your, your job, your sense of identity, your sense of purpose, and that community that came with it. You've lost friendships. Maybe, maybe a friend betrayed you, and, and what you thought was isn't anymore, and so there's a loss that happens in the midst of that. Sometimes we can experience loss in church. There was a class that you were part of and it no longer is here. There's a group and it disappears, right? Church can experience loss. Maybe you had a loss that was a secret and many, many years ago or just three months ago, you had a miscarriage and nobody knows. And you're grieving that day after day, a loss of what was and what could be. Maybe you've lost your marriage. Lost a relationship with your son or your daughter. In the pandemic, we lost many things, and sometimes losses are intangible as much as they're tangible. We lost a sense of normalcy and a sense of security. Sometimes we can lose our standing. Maybe you failed at something, you let somebody down, and you lost your own sense of self worth. We are a community and individuals that have experienced loss again and again. And goodbye is hard. And we don't always know what to do with it. And sometimes we have a struggle to even name it of what we lost and we don't have anymore. But that's not the only way in which you and I experience grief. We also experience in our longings. Our losses make sense. We can point to that. But our longings are harder. Our longings are our desires and yearnings for what should be. It's not supposed to be this way, we sometimes think, and we have this longing for a life that we want that we may never be able to have. Maybe you have a longing and a desire for friendship that never has been able to be met. Maybe you have a longing to find peace with God, and you had this negative experience years ago, and and you've never been able to find peace or joy or hope, and you've been trying, but you look around and you think, other people seem to be at peace, and why can't I be at peace? You desired a normal family growing up, a loving father who was present, a, a wife, a mother, whoever it was, and it was missing. And so you longed for that normal family. You longed for a childhood that you never had, and that, that still causes you pain to, today. Maybe you've longed for that family for yourself, for that spouse and those kids, and that's never happened Maybe you long for a church that is free of conflict. You long for a treatment that will take care of your disease, the right surgery, the right doctor, the right healing that will happen for you, and it just hasn't seemed to happen. Maybe there's some longings that you have a destructive habit or an addiction, and you long to be free, you long to be healed, but you don't know how. You long for a, a world in which depression isn't part of your life. You don't wish it on anybody. You just wish it off yourself. You long for the job that brings you purpose, the right opportunity to share your gifts. You long to be understood. And whenever there's this gap between what is and what you hope to be or what should be, there, there, there's this grief that happens in the midst of it but you and I in our world, we don't really value grief that well. We have not been trained how to to grieve. And even on Sunday morning, you can come up here and we sing these songs of joy and everybody else appears to be happy and with it. But you're not, and you're tired of faking it. I remember there was a song by uh, a band uh, called Casting Crowds. It was called the Stained Glass Masquerade. And it was like, are we happy plastic people? under happy plastic steeples or can we just put it all aside and be real and as i've walked with people and as i've walked with some of you and as i've uh as just as i know we are full of grief in a world that doesn't know how to grieve because grief is a thing that is to be avoided it is to be um, neglected we hate it right i mean nobody says sign me up for sadness This is what I want to do is I want to be sad and I want to be around sad people. Misery loves company. I don't quite get it because when I'm around misery, I'm like, yeah, I want to get out of here. This makes me feel uncomfortable. And our world is very uncomfortable with it. I mean, I would imagine that there are some of you in this room who on the very worst days of your life, you still went to work. You had a loss and you had a longing Something happened and you still showed up the next day because that's what you're supposed to do. Because it doesn't sound good to people to say, I'm just sad and I couldn't take it today. The only time we really allow sadness and grief in our culture is when a loved one who is particularly close to you dies. And then you've got to go back to work in a week. The most significant thing happened and you've got to find the strength to get back in a week, maybe two If they're exceptionally generous, we don't know how to handle it and we don't know what to say. And as a pastor, as I've walked with people through grief, as I've walked with people um, in in funerals and other times of loss and longings that have happened, we don't know what to say because grief makes us uncomfortable. We turn into awkward eighth graders and we're like, what do I say here? So this is bonus stuff. I'm going to interrupt my sermon for just bonus gift to you all. Five things not to say or do to someone who is grieving. All right, some of y'all need to take notes on this, all right? I'm saying who, I don't really remember who said what. But these are things not to say to people who are grieving, particularly somebody who's lost somebody. Don't say, God needed another angel. God doesn't need that. He doesn't need your loved one to be up in heaven to finish the work. God loves people, he doesn't need Another angel, he didn't take somebody. That goes into the second thing. Don't say, this is part of God's plan. Now let me explain this a little bit because I want to be clear about my theology and our theology as Methodists and Wesleyans about what I mean by this is part of God's plan. So as, as part of our theology, and, not, um, and this, is, this is not the theology of other churches in town, some, yes, but many others know, that we believe that we have free will and that God has not chosen What is going to happen in the world? He is not a controller who controls everything. And so I don't believe that God has caused your cancer. I don't believe that God murdered your child. I don't believe that God wanted you to lose something. God is not in the business of death. God is in the business of life. And so because of that, I don't believe that when this terrible thing happened, oh, it's just part of God's plan. God is still working even when his will isn't done. He's still working in situations where it doesn't seem like there's hope, when it feels like death has won the day, because he is. But it's not his will for things to be separated. It's not his will for breakups to happen. It's not his will for death to happen. It is not part of God's plan, because God is about life. Not death. Third thing. Don't talk too much. Your presence is your best present. We get uncomfortable. We don't know what to say. So we just say all these words. And uh, as you all know me, the 90s country song with Alison Krauss. You say it best when you say nothing at all. Husbands, that's good advice every once in a while too, but just be there, be still, be present. Don't say, I know how you feel because you don't know how they feel. Even if you've been in a similar situation, you don't know what their relationship with their dad was like. You don't know what it's like for them and their child not to be able to speak anymore. You don't know. So we can go and we can sit with people. And we can say, I can imagine, right, that that this is overwhelming. I can imagine that this is hard. And maybe we might say, hey, I've lost a child too, but even then I don't know how you feel because how you feel is your own experience and your own story. So we don't say that. And the fifth thing is we don't expect them to grieve like you think they should. This is particularly paramount for parents who've lost a child. Um, Because oftentimes this misinterpretation and understanding of grief is really hard for couples to make it through. But everybody grieves differently. Now, everybody should grieve, and there's some of y'all who don't grieve, and we're going to talk about you in just a second, all right? But we cannot impose our grief or what we think they should do on them. Everybody has their own grief journey and grief experience. All right, so let's go back to grief. Let's go back to our pain. Let's go back to our sermon. What do we do when we experience pain? What do we do to handle our grief, our losses, and our longings? Now, the first thing that you and I do is we deny it. Do you know how I know that? It's because some of you, for the last four weeks, have had, an, have had allergies, and then you finally went to the doctor, and they're like, oh, yeah, you had a sinus infection and the flu. Right? We're like, I ain't that sick. I'm okay. We deny it, and we deny the fact that we are actually not feeling well. And so this is what happens is that we just say, well, I'm not sad. Yeah, this bad thing happened or, or yeah, that was an ego shot, but I'm okay. I'm supposed to be okay. And so we just deny the reality of our pain. We say I'm fine when really we are not. Now, the next thing that we do whenever we experience pain is oftentimes we avoid it. We get busy, we start doing all these other things. We try to distract ourselves from the reality of what is going on, right? And, and that's why they have lids on laundry hampers. So you don't see it, right? So that you could put your laundry in there and you close it up and you're not sure how much laundry there is, right? You know there's only like four pairs of socks left. But you don't see the mess, you just try to avoid it. Close the lid and go on about it. And, and, and we can do the same thing. Is get busy, get distracted, and go somewhere else. What else do we do when we experience pain? We numb our pain. This is the the point in the sermon in which people feel like I'm meddling, but I'm not. So I ain't going to look at anybody, all right? I ain't going to look at the camera over there, all right? Here's what I know, is that statistically, I'm going to say some things, and some of you are going to be experiencing these things. And and what I would say is, if the Lord is nudging you, don't push it aside. Don't let it win again. Because what happens is, is that because we don't know how to experience pain and grief, because we do not know how to mourn, because we do not want to embrace it, we instead choose to numb it. And so, statistically, there are people in this room who are drinking alcohol that they shouldn't be drinking and they're hiding it and they're an addict and they don't want to admit it. Statistically, there are people in this room who eat their calories and eat their pain and they don't want to admit it. There are people who are using narcotics and prescription drugs and they've been hiding it because they don't want to feel anymore. There are people in this room who are watching online, who they binge Netflix, they play games on their computers because they don't want to experience the pain. There are people in this room who are struggling with pornography, who are involved in having an affair because they don't want to have to deal with the pain and the grief in their life. There are other habits, dipping tobacco, all sorts of other things that we do because we want to numb the pain. We don't want to feel it, so we need something to take it. And what I would say to that is I had my... uh, uh, my sponsor with the recovery, he said, "Aaron." Your solution, how I choose to numb the pain, is not your problem. Whatever you do, whatever those thing is, is not your problem. It's your solution to your problem, which is your pain, which is your grief that has not been dealt with. Now, there are healthy things that we can do. You can cope. All right? Some of y'all exercise, which is a wonderful thing. That's a good thing. You read books. You, you have these other practices. You go on walks. Great, great things. But even those two things can, at an extreme level, become ways in which you numb it instead of which you Face it, just because we numb the pain does not mean it's not there and it's not going away. This is a reality. The fourth thing that we could do when we experience pain is that we could mourn it. Mourning is the outward expression of our internal grief. Mourning is, is, is what comes out when we finally let it out. Now, I may have shared this story before, but I remember when my, when my grandmother died and, and, uh, and I, had, I had been doing the things that we do, right? I had numbed the pain. I had been busy. I had all these sort of things that were going on. And so, um, I mean, in the middle of her funeral, right, I hadn't cried, you know, which is kind of weird. But, yeah, man, we don't cry all the time. That's another conversation. But... Um, I I just remember thinking, oh, man, it's my grandmother's funeral. I better, like, sort of crack the door open of emotions and be okay. And, like, that little crack, like, all of a sudden I found myself being that guy in a funeral that you don't want to be, right? Where everybody looks back, you know? Like, looks over. Like, ooh, what's going on, right? Because I just cracked that door open a little bit, and I had this grief that was inside. I mean, she lived a good life. Everything, I mean, was good. But it was still sad because I had this loss, and I needed to do something to let it out. And oftentimes, we, we get it out with our anger. We get it out with all sorts of things because we can't take it anymore. Instead of doing the way that God has called us to do, which is to mourn. And this is where the good, this is what we believe, right? Is that mourning, this outward expression of our grief, is that the only way to heal it is to feel it. You can't numb it. You can't avoid it. You can't put it away. If you want to get through it, you got to go to it. You have to face it. And it's to these people and to this time that God's word is good news. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I mean, it's still weird to me. Blessed are those, happy are those when you mourn. But Jesus knew that to live is to suffer, it's to hurt, it's to be in pain. But in those times when we mourn, when we let it out, that there is something possible. When we open ourselves to grief, we also open ourselves to healing. Now this word comfort, um, it, it come, the, the Latin word is with strength. And that's really what we need when we don't have it all together, when we are mourning, when we are overwhelmed, is we need somebody strong to hold us. When we were talking about this as a staff uh, on Monday, one of our staff people talked about a time when she was overwhelmed with, with grief in which her husband had to carry her right that sometimes we we need that we need to be carried sometimes in us methodists we think you don't know how to cook when you're in grief so we bring you casseroles (laughs) right with strength this is what we need sometimes and this is the promise and what we see again and again and again and again in scripture is that when god's people cry out to him is he hears their cry and he responds. Psalm 34, 6 says it well. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of our troubles. Last week we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this goes right on the heels of that. When we realize that it's okay not to be okay. When we realize that we we have had a loss or we have had a longing and we need to mourn it and we grieve it, the Lord hears us and he saves us and he comforts us in those times. We see it in the Exodus. When God's people were slaves, they cried out to God. This is what it says in Exodus 2. The Israelites groaned in their slavery. We, they had a longing to be free. Maybe you have a longing to be free. And cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered their covenant with Abraham. He remembers his promise. His promise. That's what, that's what that last part of that beatitude is. For they shall be comforted. It's a promise from God. He remembered his covenant. So God looked on the Israelites and he looks on you and he's concerned for them and he's concerned for you. It's fascinating in one of my favorite stories, which is the raise, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That, that here, Mary and Martha, they are weeping and they are mourning the loss of their brother. They call out for Jesus. Now, Jesus comes, but he comes too late. But what does Jesus do? Even though he's going to go and he resurrects Lazarus from the tomb, he, he stops and he weeps with them. Sometimes the best way we're comforted is to know that we are not alone in our grief. And that Jesus weeps with you and with us. And so what we have to do as people is that we have to practice this discipline and this art of mourning our griefs and trusting that when we mourn, we will be comforted, trusting that what's happened inside of us. And one of the things I've said before is I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And somewhere in that story is a story of loss. Somewhere in that story is the story of longing. And if you and I, if we had 12 hours, we could walk through and talk about the losses and the longings that you have. But right now, in the midst of that, you need to know that God hears you and he knows you and he is with you in the midst. And I, I would imagine that for some of us, we're still holding back. We're in a public place where we don't want to grieve, we don't want to mourn. But sometimes the best thing we can do is to weep. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is to acknowledge that it wasn't okay what somebody did to you, and that you have longed that that event never would have happened, but it happened, you have to (laughs) grieve it, and you have to mourn it, and you have to understand it. And you have to understand that Jesus' promise is to comfort us in the midst of that. And as you mourn, you can be able to remember your grief, to remember your loss and longing without reliving it. And it, it never often goes away. But there are times when it doesn't feel as heavy. Now, I wish I was done. Both for timing reasons and also because this is a good end of my sermon. Mourning, weeping, comfort, peace, Jesus. But my week got ruined, so let me ruin yours just a little bit. So a couple weeks ago, well, we had our, our Mustang Ministerial Alliance meeting. And while we were there, we do what pastors do, which is we, we talk about what we're preaching on. And so I was talking to my friend Daniel. Daniel's a pastor at the Lutheran Church in town. And, and I was like, hey, what are you preaching on? He said, well, I just started a new sermon series on the Beatitudes. I said, I just started a new sermon series on the Beatitudes. Great minds think alike. Right? And so we, I said, well, why don't we just get together and talk about it? I just, I, I, I like to process things out loud and... And so we agreed. And so uh, Wednesday at 10 o'clock, went to Wild Hero, saw a couple of y'all there. And and while we were there, uh, we we sat down and and we started to to talk about this. And he, um, in good Lutheran fashion, he brought out the ancient Christian commentaries. What did the people who are church fathers in the second, third, fourth centuries think about this text? Good Lutheran, all right? And he said to me, he said, Aaron, all of the Christian fathers said this is about mourning your own sins blessed are those who mourn their own sins and their failures for they will be comforted and i thought you know what i hate you (laughs) because i i I i didn't want that part of the sermon I wanted this to be like, good news, God comforts you in the midst of when you've experienced these losses or longings, but we have to face the reality and the fact that sometimes the losses or longings are not what happened to us, but what we did in the middle of it. That you and I, that we have contributed to our own losses and longings, and we have contributed to the losses and longings of other people. And that in the midst of this, that we are called to mourn over our sins. In fact, I don't really think repentance isn't possible. True repentance, deep repentance, absolute life change isn't possible without the ability to grieve and to mourn and to acknowledge the depth that we have hurt ourselves, that we have hurt other people, and that we've hurt our world. We can be so easy to ourselves sometimes. And we can look at ourselves and we can say, yeah, I know I just yelled at my kids, but. We can, we can say, well, yeah, I did that, blank, but. You know, it's just a one-time thing. Anybody would do that. And it makes me think of this quote from uh, one of my seminary professors, a guy by the name of Robert Moholland, And he said, repentance is not being sorry for the things you have done. List it out. Repentance is being sorry that you are the kind of person that does such a thing. I'm the kind of person who would do that action. It's, it's a part of me. It's inside of me. And even though I may have done it out of my grief, and it makes it more understandable, it doesn't make it right. And so we are called to confess our sin. Now, there are some of you who, when you hear about church confession, you think about the Catholic church. I know there are some of you who are Catholic or were Catholic. Maybe you're secretly here today and supposed to be at the Catholic church. I don't know. But, but the Catholics, they have this practice of confessional where you, you sit, apparently that's true for somebody, but where where you sit and and you, and you say this, you, you sit and there's this booth, right? At least that's how it is in the movies. And there's a priest over there and you say, bless me father for I have sinned. And you say these certain things. And, and, and that he absolves you, he forgives you of your sin, and you say it out loud. Um, now, we as Methodists, we don't confess well. We do in our rich, deep history. But, but most of the time, we pretend that everything's okay and that the Catholics and the Baptists and the non-church people have problems. But we know that's not true. Here's what I believe. Here's what I know. Here's what I trust. There are some of us in this room who need to mourn over our sins. We have done things that have hurt ourselves, that have hurt the ones we love the most, that have hurt our community, our family. And we want to just move on. We don't want to experience, we don't want to face ourselves in the mirror. We don't want to acknowledge that we've let people down. We don't want to think about being the kind of person that would do such a thing, that would say, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with it, but it is part of who we are called to be. And so if we really want to turn our lives around, it has to begin with being on our knees, mourning over our own sinfulness. And there's good news. 1 John 1, 9 says these words, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That this is who God is, is that when we mourn over our sins, when we repent, when we name those things that we've done, not just what's happened to us, but what we've done, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And I hate to say things like this, but I'm going to anyway, that's a good way to preach, right? I hate to do this, but you know, I don't care. I have walked out the door many a time because I couldn't face, I have walked out the doors of a sanctuary many times. Because I didn't want to face the reality of my own brokenness and sin. And it didn't go away until I faced it. So you have a choice. And I don't know who you are. You can take it for yourself, whether you are you are, or you are somebody else. You can walk out these doors. You can go back. You can watch NFL football. You can enjoy your Sunday afternoon, whatever the case may be. And you can pretend that life is normal. Or you can have today be a new day. Maybe for you, you have to claim that today is a new day because you're going to grieve that loss and that longing that you've been putting off for so long and you're going to name it and you're going to face it and you're going to get the tissues we have out in the pews for a reason because you need to warn and weep. Maybe for some of you, today is the day in which you're going to say, you know, that thing that every sermon seems to be about, even though that's not what I'm talking about, that's what you feel anyways. Maybe today is the day in which you're going to face that as well. And you're going to mourn over your own sinfulness and your own grief of what you've done and of who you've become, trusting the good news. Forgiveness being cleansed from all unrighteousness. And let me get to the final good news. At the very end of our story, in Revelation chapter 21, when John gets this vision of heaven of what life will be when everything is right, he says these words, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So we're going to have a little time of prayer. We're going to open the altar. I'm just going to, we're going to have some people. If you want to pray, if you want to pray at your seats, you're welcome to. You can numb your pain. You can avoid your pain. You can do it today. Some of you are well-trained and equipped at it. Or you can face it. Face what's happened to you and what you've done. And encounter the God of grace. There's not a limit to his grace. There's not a limit to his love. There's not a limit to his forgiveness. The only limitation is us. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.